Thank y'all. I think two of the guys got confused and thought that the plaids were supposed to be worn today, right? A couple of them. <laughs> so that means you can't wear the same plaid next week. So we'll get, we'll get a chance to see your wardrobe, amen? Yeah, yeah. Well, good morning, everybody. It is uh, good to see you all again. Uh, I couldn't help but when I, when I am singing songs, I'm always mindful of scripture that comes to mind. I've shared that with you before. But, you know, one of the, just the short little uh, verses of the last song is, when Jesus came out of the grave, the Bible tells us that there were those in Jerusalem that came out of their graves also, and they walked around. I want to talk to those people when we get to heaven. Say, what was it like when you knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm back? <laughs> it would be uh, rather interesting, I think, uh, for that to happen. And then, of course, um, preceding today's message and the text in today's message would be the truthfulness of the first song, uh, that in reality that demons have to fall in the presence of the living God because when Jesus encounters the demoniac uh, as he crosses the Sea of Galilee and legion, this uh, wide variety and multiple faceted uh, demons that were in this man had to flee when the Lord just commanded them. In fact, they, they were so frightened when he just showed up that they were literally shaken in their boots. And so... I hope that as you're singing the songs, you're not just singing the songs, but you're, uh, as the Holy Spirit's leading you, he's leading you to remember some scripture uh, that would apply to the truthfulness of the words that we sing. And it's one of the things, I, I, I love all kind of music. I come from a very, a very, very background as it relates to music genres, but I do uh, love the old traditional theological doctrinal hymns. Uh, that we sing, and of course the praise courses. Today I was raised on doctrinal hymns, and then when Brad and Paula came to Whitehall, I was kind of raised on a combination of, back then we called it a blended service, uh, where there's some traditional hymns and some new praise courses. And remember that when praise courses uh, were first introduced, they thought people were radical to sing them, right, because they weren't in the hymnal. But we've learned that uh, everything that has breath, praise the Lord, amen, amen. Take your Bibles uh, this morning and turn with me to, to Mark chapter 5. You know, one of the, the struggles of a pastor sometimes is, um, especially me, in a sense that I, I've always been kind of a teacher. I never really consider myself a preacher, so to speak, though the Lord's called me to be a pastor, and I pastored for a while in my life. But I've always been a person that wanted to bring as much as I could to the text. And sometimes in bringing too much to the text, you get kind of lost in the text. So you, you don't see my notes, but as I was preparing this week, I actually got three different sermons um, from this text. The first one, early in the week, I didn't send to those who wanted my sermon by Thursday, uh, but uh, in the text of Scripture, and we'll read it in a second, the first sermon kind of looked like this. We need to get to Jesus as quickly as we can when things are difficult in our life, Amen. And then we need to go to Jesus confidently. We can't go doubting like James says. And then we need to trust the Lord completely. You know, you can't just be part, partly in. You've got to be all in. And then you have to respond to Jesus personally. Jesus does come to the crowds, but he's much more concerned with the people who are in the crowds. And then we have to live for Jesus faithfully. So that was Sermon 1 that came to, came to my heart and mind about Tuesday. Well, then by the time I was uh, sending things here, this was the second sermon, and this was actually the sermon that I sent two days ago, 
Uh, we need to approach Jesus boldly but humbly. We need to believe in him wholeheartedly. We need to receive the things he says faithfully. We need to repeat them to others wisely. And then we need to remember them continually. That was sermon two. Well, that's not the sermon you're getting this morning either. Actually, I didn't get this sermon until after the tragedy of yesterday afternoon. Amen? Amen. You know, OH still, right? I, you know? <laughs> yeah. So the title of the sermon is Approaching Jesus in Times of Desperation, out of Mark chapter 5. We'll make one more reference to yesterday's game. I thought, as being a former player and coach, that after Michigan scored that touchdown quickly in the third quarter, I thought we were desperate right then. I said, you know what? We got no mojo. We got no momentum. They were supposed to come out, you know, as a coach, you know, you got to win. In basketball, you have to win the first three minutes and the last three minutes. In football, you got you to win the first six minutes and the last six minutes of each half. And so we came out leading, not playing well. They came out and just beat our brains out in the second half. <laughs> and it was ugly again, unfortunately. And you all know that my middle daughter, I don't know why, I think we dropped her a couple times on her head. But she was born in St. Anne's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and she bleeds maize and blue, much to my, but I I still love her. I made a mistake. Her husband, you guys had prayed for him over the years. You know, she was, uh, she met him in Guatemala, Josue, my son-in-law, and uh, we finally got him to America this past June. They'd been seeing each other, couldn't get visas and all that. And so I made the horrible mistake on Monday to say, because she's pregnant, praise the Lord, I'm going to be a grandfather at 65 years of age, so can't wait to give that kid some Mountain Dew and send them home, amen? <laughs> but um, I made the mistake of telling Josue and Maddie, because she wants to make him a Mason Blues fan. I'm like, come on, Maddie. I mean, you need to repent yourself. But I said, whoever wins the game, the kid can be that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, see, I'm not a prophet. This is bad. <laughs> but anyway, well, hopefully we won't play as badly in the second half of our bowl game, wherever we might end up going. If you will, please stand and honor the readings of God's Word. And I just want to share with you five simple thoughts this morning. Actually, four simple thoughts and one kind of main thought. As we think about how do we approach Jesus in times of desperation? And let me let me just say, I think we're living in times of desperation. I've been around 65 years, and it seems like the world seems to be more desperate today, and unfortunately desperate for the wrong things, than when I grew up as a kid, or as I was being mentored in the faith in the 1980s, and finally surrendered to, the, to a Christian ministry full-time in the 1990s. And really, the word in the original Aramaic, the, the word desperation, means to be without hope. You might think about anxiety or anguish or, or anguish or worry or fear. All these things uh, can lead to desperation in our lives. And we know that things come into our lives that cause desperation. They, they cause us to, even though we're, we're strong in the faith and walk with Jesus, still in the reality of what we see and what we know and what we, we've experienced, sometimes we are just desperate. We're, we're almost without hope in our spirits. And so I want to encourage you this morning through the word that when you get in this situation, and I've been in it many times in life, 
These are some things that we have to be reminded of and how we need to approach Jesus. So thus says the word of God, beginning in Mark chapter 5, beginning uh, in verse 21. I'm going to read through uh, verse 43. I'm reading out of the Christian, Holman Christian Standard Bible this morning. The Bible says, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he kept begging him, my little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his robe. For she said, if I can just touch his robes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd, and he said, who touched my robe? Well, of course, his disciples were with him, and they said in verse 31, you see the crowd pressing against you, and you say, who touched me? So he was looking around to see who had done this, meaning Jesus. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling, and like Jairus, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? But when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother, And they came to the leader's house, and he saw a a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. Well, they started laughing at him. And he put them all outside. He took the child's mother, father, and those who were with him, meaning the three apostles, and entered the place where the child was. And then he took the child by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, and she was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and said that she should be given something to eat. May the Lord have his blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. You may be seated. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He also reminds us a little bit later in that chapter, in verse 6, that if you and I are going to experience anything from God, we have to diligently seek him because he is a rewarder of those who seek after him. In both of these situations here, and we should not take them separately, although they're kind of intermingled, we really should see Jesus working in the midst of both of these situations because one of the things we see is that these people represent people who are on entirely different sides or realms of uh, our social status that we would see today. Here's a woman who's literally lost everything that she has. She spent everything she had. She has this particular bleeding uh, uh, malady. She's 
Uh, obviously, this is something different than what would be normal for a woman in her cycle. And this is something that would make her ceremonial, uh, ceremonially unclean. She wouldn't be able to hang out with people. Anything she touched or anything that someone touched that belonged to her would have to be ceremonially clean. You'd have to go get permission from the priests and all that kind of stuff. And so here's a lady on the very bottom of the social class, but yet we see Jairus, who's on the higher end of the social class. He's a synagogue leader. He would have means. He would have had means to go to see doctors. He would have had means that he would be respected in the community. He would have means that he would be able to go and worship when he wanted to and was had the opportunity to, but not for this lady. So what we see immediately is that they both had a great need, and they both needed extraordinary help, extraordinary help. So in the midst of all the things that are going on, even the two other sermons the Lord gave me, one of the things I want you to know about this particular context of Scripture, it really talks to us about our faith and what we do when we find ourselves in these very, very difficult situations. So the first thing you might note if you're taking notes in your bulletin, Desperation should drive us to faith in Jesus. What really amazes me today is the world we live in, the desperate times we live in, why more people aren't receptive to hearing the gospel and coming to Christ. We know that the Bible says that broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many are they that are on it. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. Very few are those who find it. But you would think with all the things that people have tried today, they'd try Jesus. Not that he would be the last thing that they would try. He should be the first thing that they should try. But the reality is, I don't know how people make it through life without the Lord. I I can't fathom it. I know what life was like before the Lord, and life has not been the easiest with the Lord. But I can't imagine trying to go through things that I'm going through now or dealing with things that we deal with every day in our ministry. I don't know how I would make sense of it all if it wasn't for the Lord. And so one of the first things we have to realize is desperation. We approach Jesus in times of desperation because we need to. He's really the only one who sees the beginning and the end. He's really the only one that has the answers to the needs that we have and knows all the problems we have. He knows the sin we have. He knows our trials and our tribulations, our traumas and our tragedies. He knows all of those things. So you would think we would be in a hurry to get to him, but we're normally not, are we? What keeps us away is really simple, sin. We know it, Satan knows it, God knows it, and because of that, we we sometimes feel that our sin would keep us from the Lord offering and wanting to give us help. Well, in these two situations, that didn't matter because both of these people felt like the only thing that they could do to solve the issues that they were facing was to go to Jesus. So desperation should drive us to Jesus in faith. Why? Well, first, let's just think of this. Faith opens the door to the power of God. Faith opens the door to the power of God. Faith transfers divine power to the powerless. Both of these people were powerless. They could do nothing or they had tried everything to get them out of the situation they were in, but nothing had helped them. There wasn't an answer. They couldn't pick up a paper and read. They couldn't post something on Facebook. Uh, They could cry out, but they thought, listen, if I can get to this guy named Jesus, and we really don't know what they knew about Jesus other than that they knew something about him because that's why they said, hey, let's get to him. And so in reality, faith opens that door. 
Yet, it's not just faith itself, but it's faith that has to be directed at Jesus or to God. Notice what Jesus says to the woman in, in verse 34. He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. In essence, what he was telling her is in her helplessness and in her powerless state, he was making her completely whole in every way, especially in regard to her health. And so because of that, we understand that when we can approach Jesus and we, and we approach him by faith, it opens the door to the power of God. There are so many great stories in the Bible. You might even say this, um, you might even put this in your notes or write this in the margin of your Bible. Write Matthew 7, 7, and 8. As you think about this, this context of Scripture, Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Remember that's where the Bible says, ask, it shall be given you. Seek, you shall find. Knock, the door shall be open unto you. If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. And if you knock, the door indeed will should be, should be open to you. That's what both of these people were doing. Both the woman and Jairus were both asking. They were seeking. And in their crying out and in their secrecy and touching the hem of his garment, they, in essence, were knocking. Help me. Help me. Please. Will you help me? And, of course, we know that Jesus did. I love uh, how Jesus comes alongside the, the powerless. And sometimes he does things in such extraordinary ways that there's no other way you can explain it by God. I was reading a little bit this morning in Daniel, uh, and remember, Daniel was the one who's exiled, and he's, he's taken away from Israel, and he's in Babylon, a King Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, he's the man who's praying all the time, and he's kind of living a different lifestyle from what they want to uh, have him learn as a Babylonian now that he's living in that culture, and so he's just radically different, and people don't like it, especially the Babylonians and those other soothsayers and all those kind of guys, and so... They, they go to the king and say, listen, this guy's praying. He shouldn't be praying. He's praying to gods other than you. You're the God. And so they tell Daniel, don't pray. But what does Daniel do? He prays several times a day. He prays openly. and he, he prays publicly. And because of that, these guys rat him out. They go tell the king. And the king says, hey, you can't be doing this. And just to prove that I am king and you are not, I'm going to put you in the lion's den and have the lions eat you alive. And, of course, they do. And I'm sure that the next day we know that uh, he didn't get bit. <laughs> he probably got licked in the face quite a few times, I would think. I couldn't help but remember, you know, the, the Bible says one of these days the lion and the lamb will lay down together, right? I'm sure the next morning he said, hey, guys, you know, these lions in here, man, they make a really nice pillow. <laughs> They're awful warm. Didn't even get cold last night, right? Then a little bit farther down the road, we see these three Hebrew boys the same way. And all of a sudden, Darius now, he's the guy who uh, uh, gets this uh, statue made of himself. And you're supposed to bow down and worship the statue. And no, not going to do that, the three Hebrew boys say. And he says, listen, if you don't do this, I'm going to put you in the fire. And they go, that's okay. You know what? The God we serve, whether or not he delivers us or not, we're not going to bow down to you. And of course... He looks in the fire, he, he heats it up hotter than it's ever been, and what's he do? He says, hey, didn't we put three people in the fire? Yeah, well, how come I see four walking in there? And what's interesting is there uh, in Daniel chapter uh, 3, verses 8 through 30, is when they come out, hair not singed, clothes not singed, 
they don't even smell like they've been around a fire. I've had a fire three of the last four nights, and just getting close to it, I stink, got to come in and take a shower and take my clothes off. Not these guys. Why? Because they responded by God in faith, and when they respond to faith, God opens the door to the power that he has. And all power is available to us. That's point number one. The second thing is faith is persistent in overcoming obstacles. Faith is persistent in overcoming obstacles. Well, what were the two obstacles? Well, for the man, it eventually would be the skepticism of when he got the word that his daughter was actually dead and he's going back to his household. The critics there who are mourning when they're told that the daughter really isn't dead, she's asleep, they just kind of laugh at Jesus. I mean, come on, we know that she's dead. She's not breathing. So what this father had to do is he had to overcome the obstacle when he gets the worst news that he could possibly get. He goes to Jesus and asks for help. Please come to my house. Jesus then, of course, is going to the house, but Jesus gets interrupted by the woman. I wonder how the father felt. Can't this wait? This isn't as bad as what my daughter's situation is. And then he gets the word. Hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. But Jesus says, hey, 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 don't believe them. You just believe me. And so he overcomes the skepticism of those who are around him. And I I would assume that probably because of his position in the synagogue and because Jesus was always kind of crossways with people who were hanging out in the synagogue, they probably were ridiculing him even before he went to ask Jesus for help. So he had to deal with the skepticism. The lady had to deal with literally the shame of her condition and to press through the crowd. To press through the crowd. The reality is, in her condition, if, if she had touched anything or anyone touched her, that would have been a bad thing. So imagine if uh, you were in Ohio Stadium yesterday and you're trying to get from one place to another and the crowds are just crowding around you. If someone, you ever been in a situation where you've been in a crowd and somebody you knew came up, kind of pinched you in the ear or, or pushed you in the back and, you know, you turn around like, who touched me? Who touched me? Jesus knew, but he wanted to know from her. The apostles go, hey, all these people are pressing around. How in the world? So this woman who had been ostracized her whole life, or at least for 12 years of her life, has to make it through this crowd just to touch the garment of the person that she believes has the power to heal her by faith. And, you know, one of the things that I thought it was interesting is faith really laughs at fear and shame and scorn. It really does. Do you remember Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? Peter gets up and the others get up. Next thing you know, there's words coming out of their mouth in languages that they don't know. And what does the crowd say? Some of these guys are drunk. No, they're not drunk. They're drunk with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He's come unto, into them, not just around them as he'd done uh, through centuries before that. But now he's indwelling them. And because of that, even the skepticism of those people were or the scorn that these guys are drunk. uh Uh-uh. These guys are just proclaiming the word of God. What about Lazarus? When Lazarus is raised to the dead, those or raised from the dead after he dies and he's in the tomb four days, when Jesus shows up, there's some in that crowd that say, you know what, you could do all these other things. Well, how come you couldn't help him? How couldn't you come and help him? Of course, Jesus does help him in a very, very radical kind of way. Think about the apostles beaten and worn in Acts chapter 4. 
Don't go proclaim the word of God anymore. Don't go proclaim the word of God anymore. And what do they do? They say, well, we got to make the decision whether it's right to obey God or obey man. We'll obey God. And as soon as they're, they're beaten and they're, they're set back and set free, they go back to the people, the community of believers, and they say, listen, would you pray that we'd have more boldness to proclaim the word of God? More boldness. So faith laughs at shame and scorn and fear. And faith has to be persistent. And if you are persistent in faith, you will overcome the obstacles that come to your life, whether you create them, whether someone else creates them, or whether Satan initiates them. It doesn't matter. You'll overcome if you continue to walk by faith. The other thing I want you to know is that not only that, but faith is also embodied by action. Faith is embodied by action. In other words, faith is not just hearing the word, as James tells us. It's in doing the word. Great example of that. Turn back in your Bibles to, to just a couple of chapters to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, you, you're familiar with this story. Jesus goes back to his kind of home base, Capernaum, and uh, it's reported that he's home. And so what happens? Everybody crowds around the door where he lives. And I mean, they're just smothering him that no one can even get in. But there's these four guys that have a friend who's a paralytic. And they say, hey, if we can get this guy to Jesus, Jesus can heal him. And so when they get there, imagine this. The crowd, you know, uh, if, if you've ever been to Israel, and I've been to this particular site, these places were very, very small, wouldn't hold a whole lot of people. Uh, doorways, very, very narrow, very, very short. So I could just see the people pressed around that and these guys getting there and going, now what do we do? <laughs> we can't get through the door. There's no way we can press. So what do they do? They get up on the roof and basically pull a hole and drop him right in front of Jesus. Now that's faith. And it's interesting that in the text of Scripture, the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith and healed the man. In fact, gave him, forgave him his sins. Of course, the, the skeptics in that crowd said he's blaspheming. How in the world can he forgive sins? But Jesus said, just so you know I can forgive sins, I'm going to do this. Get up and walk. And the guy walks out. Carried in, but he walks out. That's pretty cool. So in actuality, faith is embodied by action. Turn ahead to James chapter 2. There's a great context of scripture that teaches us that truth. James chapter 2, where the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead, being alone. Now let me pick up reading in verse 14. The Bible says in James 2, 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith from my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works and by works faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness as he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works 
and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And the, the two great examples are Abraham and Rahab. Abraham had gotten the promised son that he had waited so long for, and then God said, kill him. And he was willing to do that, right? Jacob and Isaac and then Abraham. And Abraham was one who what, went everywhere God told him to and didn't know where he was going. Everybody like your GPS? What do you do if you don't have it? You know, back, we used to have Rand McNally. Anybody remember Rand McNally? He used to open those rascals up and knew exactly where to go. It was before Siri would reroute me, right? So Abraham's this guy who literally listens, says, hey, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as right because he added a work to his faith. But the work came from his faith. The work didn't replace the faith. The work came from his faith. And as the Lord has given us faith, we do works. That's what Ephesians 2.10 reminds us, right? Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that if we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God and no one can boast about it, right? What does verse 10 say? For we're created in him for his workmanship that we might be able to walk in the things that he's really ordained for us to do. In fact, every work you do is from God for God and he can't be done except by God. He just has you to have a part in it. And so faith is embodied by action. I love the story over there uh, about Elijah and his servant uh, when he finally comes back and confronts King Ahab. Remember, it had, had not rained for several years, and he comes back, and he, uh, he overcomes by faith the, uh, the, the, the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, and all of a sudden he goes up and he tells the king, hey, you need to get off this mountain, man, because it's going to rain. And he tells his servant, go look and see if there's any clouds in the sky. And so the servant goes, says, nope. Go look again. Nope. One more time. Nope. How about one more? No. Okay, one, one more time. Sorry, Elijah. Nothing out there. One more time. He goes, and he comes back after the seventh time, and he says, you know, there is a little cloud out there. And next thing, what do we know? Here comes the rain. It took that guy seven times of persistence in faith to his faith to be embodied so that the rain that God was going to bring at the word of his prophet to confirm the voice and the message of his prophet that it eventually would bring rain. How about crossing the Jordan? Anybody tried to walk on water lately? Or anybody tried to, uh, well, I was up in Lake Erie not too long ago, and I could just imagine, I mean, just a stream, just a stream. Imagine if there was water, just a stream parted and allowed you to walk through it. And isn't it interesting, at least the one time when they're crossing the Jordan, they're said, it was said, when your feet get in the water, embodied by action, when your feet get in the water, then the water will be pressed back. In fact, there's some uh, historical writings that said some of the rabbis in relationship to that, uh, not that particular one, but when Moses was crossing uh, the Red Sea and it was parted, that uh, 
that those guys may have gotten up as far as their nostrils before the Lord decided just to, to push the waters back. But the reality is this. Don't say you have faith and then do nothing with it. Faith is active. It's not alone. It is accompanied by works all the time. And so as we look at this story and the story of, of this man and this woman who basically embody their faith by doing something about it, by doing something about it. They could have prayed, they could have stayed, but no, they wanted to get in the presence of Jesus, and because of that, Jesus rewarded their faith, which brings me to the last point. So, desperate times should cause us to run to the Lord. Faith opens the door to the power of God when we do that. Faith is persistence in us as we overcome the obstacles and as God helps us overcome those obstacles. And then faith is embodied by action for us doing something. That's why Jesus says things like this. Go out to the highways and byways and compel my people to come in. All the invitations have been sent. Nobody, go, go get some people and bring them back in here. As you're going, tell people about who I am. Tell people what I've done in your life. Tell people how good I am. Embodied faith, always on the move. And then the last thing is this, faith in desperation should compel us to believe that Jesus can meet the need that we have, that Jesus can meet the need that we have. I could imagine having a difficulty physically like this woman has had difficulty for 12 years. I know I had cancer in 2018. It was very short, very compact, got the radiation treatments uh, done with. And for the most part, I've had no after effects of that other than a little bit of lymphedema, lymphedema in my face and neck. I had a stroke in February this past year, you all know, and uh, totally out of the blue. But I couldn't imagine the 30 or 40 seconds or a minute, minute and a half that I um, was under the pressure of, of that particular ailment. I couldn't imagine having that every day for 12 years or for 12 minutes. I'd be unbelievable. And so one of the things that we have to be able to do by faith in these desperate times that we live in is we have to believe that Jesus can meet the need that we have. So Jesus is able always, amen? Jesus is able when we're not and when others are not. Jesus is able. Not only the physical pain, but the emotional pain. Could you imagine the father, all the hope he had, his continual pressing to Jesus, his compassion, his humility, his boldness. Jesus, come. Jesus, come and help. This is a dire situation. This is a difficult time right now. We need your help immediately. And then all of a sudden, he's interrupted on the way. And then as he's interrupted on the way, his servants come and say, listen, forget about it. Your daughter's dead. Can you imagine the emotional pain? I, I think I might have lashed out almost immediately. Come on, Jesus. Look, kind of like Mary and Martha. If you'd have been here, <laughs> Lazarus wouldn't die. If, if we'd have been quicker, if we'd have got there quicker, she wouldn't have died. But what does Jesus say? Listen. I'm still able to meet your need. You just got to believe. And sure enough, he goes into the house, 
the morning is happening, just like the morning was happening when Mary left the house over there in John 11. People were crying. People were upset. Life has ended. That's what causes us to get upset, right? All we know is life. And yet Jesus says, you know what? Death has no victory. Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? He didn't say that to this man, but he, he knew he was. And because of that, the man's daughter experienced such a great resurrection. Faith in desperation compels us to believe that Jesus can meet the need that we have. What's your need today? Is it small? Do you think maybe it's insignificant and because of that, you don't want to bother God with it? There's much bigger things for God to be worried about today than my little thing right here. Or maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe you think that thing that you need help with today is too big for God to help you with. At least as you look at it, you can't make any sense of how God's going to make it work in the situations and circumstances of your life. But the reality is, if we will but come to him by faith and exercise that faith, we have to believe that he's able to meet our need. No matter how small we might think it is or how large we might think it is. The Bible tells us over and over again that if we'll come by faith, God will move based on that faith. One of the stories I love is over in 1 Samuel 17. It's a story that we all know. It's David and Goliath. Remember the story? It really was a story about faith. It's not a story about a giant and not a story about David, to be quite frank. It's really a story about faith. Because the greatest need of that army at that time and the greatest need of the world at that time was to know that there was a God in Israel, that he had chosen sides, and that he was going to act on behalf of the people he had chosen sides with. And those chosen people were the Israelites, his chosen nation. And as David shows up in the midst of that difficulty, what David needed to show the world was, hey, I have faith. I've walked with God. I've had enemies that are much greater than this, this giant that's standing before us. Yeah, he has a mean reputation. Yeah, he's undefeated. Yeah, it would seem on paper. And it would seem on eyesight that I don't have a chance. His brothers scorn him when he shows up. Why are you on the battlefield? Get home where you belong. Saul skeptical, hey, you can't beat this dude. I mean, you're just a youth. You're just ready. But what does David say? The need, the need is much greater than this, the Philistines and the Israelites. The need is to know that there's a God in heaven and that he can do anything. He can meet our need. And so what does he do? <laughs> he meets the need of the nation. He meets the need of his soon, already anointed king, but soon to be king. And David not only kills Goliath, but just to make sure everybody knew, he lopped his head off and took it back to Jerusalem and held it as a trophy. This is what happens to people who don't believe 
that we serve a mighty God and who will come to our aid in the most desperate of situations. The most desperate of situations. What's your situation today? What's your need? God meets our needs. He doesn't always do it in our timing. He doesn't always do it in our way. He doesn't always do it when we even understand it or can make any sense of it. But if we'll walk by faith, and if we'll press forward by faith, no matter what might be an obstacle that would keep us from it, and if we'll put our faith into action by believing they put their faith into action before the action actually occurred that the healing and the help came. That's faith. And because of that, I'm sure that the, even though the Bible doesn't reveal it to us, I'm sure that after those days, that day, those two folks were never the same. And I'm sure the daughter wasn't either. They had experienced something in the most desperate time of their lives. That if they went to Jesus, Jesus could help them. Jesus could heal them. But you might say, you know what? He doesn't always do that. And you know what? You're right. He doesn't always do that. There's still evil in the world, isn't there? People still die. People still have diseases. People still get laughed at because of their faith. People still get scorned at because of their faith. But that doesn't mean we stop. It doesn't mean we quit. Jesus was a great example, was he not? It's finished, Lord. It's finished. Into thy spirit do I, or into thy hands do I what? Commend my spirit. You know what? No matter what comes to your life, no matter what you're in now, no matter if you feel like you're so overwhelmed by it, or you can't make sense of it, Jesus says, will you come? To me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. In fact, you'll find rest for your souls. For my burden is light, my affliction is what? Simple. Have you come to Jesus in your life? Are you continually coming to him? You don't just come to him once. I don't know about you, but I need his help every day, amen? Every day. Can't take no days off. Every day, I need the Lord's help. The way we show that to ourselves, to those we love, and to a world around us is by taking action. And no matter what, give ourselves to Jesus. He's the great I am. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and thank you today for your word, for its truth. For these great examples of scripture of people who walked by faith, didn't fully understand all that it was, but they had faith in you. You were the one that came to, Lord, and for those of us who know Christ, we've come to you. We've asked for your forgiveness. We've experienced the joy of that forgiveness. But Lord, we get so caught up in our lives sometimes that we forget that every day we need.